Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. My name's Justin. Unfortunately, Eric is out today. He just moved to the new college to uh, go to school for cinematography, so I wish him the best of luck with getting his place set up, and uh, we'll welcome him back next week. Um, For those of you that are followers of us on Blog Talk or on any of um, our Facebook and Twitter pages, welcome. If you do not follow us on Twitter or Facebook, please go follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. That's where you will find any of the news that's going on here with uh, Paratruth Radio. Today, we've got a giveaway going on uh, for our Eddie the Bigfoot Paratruth Radio decorative plate. So I'm hoping that uh, we can get that given away today as well. And uh, also, to just give you guys some information too. If you guys ever need to contact us outside of the live shows, uh, you can always chat us up on blog t- or I'm sorry, on Facebook, uh, also on Twitter. Uh, email is paratruthradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to call in during the live shows, our guest call in is 914-205-5558. And that's so that way you guys can ask questions to us or to our guests. Uh, We also have our chat chat room open as well, so you can ask questions that way. Um, So a lot of great things going on here um, on Paratruth Radio. And again, I am flying solo, so just bear with me here. I'm a little off because of that. Um, Trying to think if there's any other announcements that I have here. I don't think so. Uh, Just to give a heads up for next week's show, uh, next week we'll be having on Sublimely Elegant from YouTube and we will be doing a collaborative show as uh, with him as a special co-host. Um, and I think that's about it that I can think of. Uh, tonight we have on Chris O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd. Chris, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Justin. Uh, thank you for being on the show, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry we had a little problem on the last uh, go-round, but uh, hey, here we are, and there you go. <laughs> the listeners out there that haven't heard of you or heard of the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, wow. Um, I've been involved in uh, investigating and researching paranormal subjects since, well, since I was a little kid, but in terms of writing articles, writing books, that sort of thing, about 21 years. I got my start in the San Luis Valley in Colorado, South Central Colorado. It's the largest alpine valley in the world. And I moved there from back east in 89. And in 92, uh, while writing for a small, you know, small town newspaper in Crestone, the little town I lived in, um, I started covering uh, a series of UFO sightings that were occurring that all sorts of uh, good quality witnesses were, you know, seeing. And and talking about so you know i figured hey why not write a little article about this and i did and 
It got picked up by the wire services, uh, Lou Farish's news, UFO news clipping service, and it went around the world, and I was on national TV two months later. Uh, go figure. Yeah. So ever yeah. since then, I've been involved in uh, documenting any number of you know, hundreds and hundreds of uh, unexplained events, cryptozoological creature sightings, UFOs, uh, a couple of hundred cattle mutilation reports during the 90s, which uh, my book, Stock in the Herd, talks about uh, partially, but uh, the whole cattle mutilation phenomenon is, is covered in the book. But, you know, for 20 years I've been, uh, you know, quietly, I think, uh, for the most part, uh, hopefully doing good field investigative work and networking with people that are a lot more expert and experienced than I am in the field. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I think I really, um, you know, come to the point where I, I was getting sick and tired of hearing uh, anytime the subject of cattle mutilations came up, everybody said, oh, yeah, the aliens are coming down and doing that. And based on my experience, I, I didn't feel that that was uh, – a, a proper analysis of the situation, and um, I went ahead and gathered together all the existing databases and for the first time coalesced them together and put them all in one book along with a history of our relationship with cattle, and stocking the herd is uh, pretty much a one-stop shop for this, you know, unexplained livestock death mystery, and I'm pretty proud of it, and it's a half a million words. It took 18 months to write, and my butt sore. I'm sitting in yeah. the chair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, well, and one of the less talked about phenomenons is the cattle mutilation, just because I guess it's a little bit of a taboo thing because nobody really knows what is, is going on or what's happening with it. Um, now, in the beginning of the book, you had said that uh, you had a a personal cattle mutilation uh, story happen close to you, correct? I had dozens, uh, you know, for that time period between 90, you know, November 92 through about 1999. So, you know, we're looking at about seven years. I investigated or helped investigate and research over 200 cases. Okay. And then... Um, Near me, yeah, I had one, you know, I had one just, uh, what, half a mile away from me. I think was the closest one that actually uh, may have occurred. Uh, they tried to cover it up, but uh, I had corroborative, uh, you know, data to support uh, that particular case. Although it never officially made my data log. Okay, and it, well, it um, in the book you said that you were a suspect in the mutilation, or one of no, them. No, my mentor, uh, David Perkins, back in '75, he lived up and over uh, the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, which. Oh, the little okay. town that I lived in was right on the west side of the mountains. He lived on the other side, on the east side, and and he had, you know, of course, been reading in the mid seventies. It was uh, the seventy five. It was the AP news news story of the year in Colorado. Uh, there were, you know, possibly thousands of cases uh, that occurred on the front range of Colorado in the mid seventies. But but he started looking into it and. And he was driving home, and he saw right outside the gates of his property there was a mutilated cow, and he was, like, freaked out. And then he went home and started making some phone calls and went down to the newspaper office and said, hey, you know, there was a mutilated cow there. And they said, yeah, well, the sheriff wants to talk to you because you're the chief suspect. <laughs> oh. So, 
yeah, go figure. No, that was that was uh, seventy five, and uh, that was David Perkins, my mentor. He's helping me write the uh, follow up book to Stalking the Herd. Oh, okay. Now, um, one of the cases that interested me was Snippy the horse. What what was going on with that, or what could have caused that particular mutilation with Snippy? Well, I don't, I don't know. It could have been high-tech chefs coming back from the future to gather illegal parts uh, from animals that aren't supposed to be eaten, bring them back to the future for million-dollar plate dinners. That makes more sense to me than aliens coming down and doing it. Or at the time, September 67, when the case occurred, um, you know, people thought maybe it was the military. First of all, the Snippy case is really important. It's like typhoid Mary. If anyone okay. out there is through epidemiology and, and, and pandemic outbreaks of disease, if you want to equate the first mass, uh, you know, known or international, you know, publicized case of this type right. of an unexplained livestock death, Snippy would be the uh, the typhoid Mary. And the animal was discovered missing all the tissue from the tip of its nose to uh, the shoulder area, so its entire neck and skull was devoid of any flesh, hide, muscle, tissue, connective tissue. The brain was gone with no break in, into the cranium with a dry brain case. The upper respiratory organs and the heart were gone. Uh, you know, it, it just freaked uh, the family out that, that discovered the horse. And this was, of course, you know, right there in the height of the summer of love, September 7, 1967. Mm-hmm. And initially, uh, the sheriff, uh, he, he didn't even go out to see it. He says, oh, the horse was hit by lightning. There was no no storms in the area the night that it happened. And lightning can do some pretty uh, amazing things. It can blow the uh, the hoof material off cows. Uh, it can, you know, it can create uh, you know pretty horrific burns. I've seen it. But uh, the snippy case was not your typical um, lightning strike. The bones right. were bleached uh, white, like they'd been in the sun for 30 years in the desert. Uh, there was a kind of a strange medicinal sort of odor around the animal. The animal was found about 100 feet from where its tracks ended. Uh, and there were a lot of very peculiar things about the case that uh, we still, to this day, have not, you know, really figured it out. So, you know, what did the Snippy case? I don't know. Uh, according to the locals, uh, it was some kids from, from Alamosa that uh, dipped it into a vat of acid uh, was one theory. Another theory was that it was um, all you know, done by scavengers in a matter of just a few hours, uh, which none of these mundane explanations uh, make any sense and right. cannot be supported by the uh, by the facts. If it was scavengers, you would think that the skull would have been completely broken open, and especially since the skull was clean on the inside. Well, scavengers typically don't open skulls. Uh, you know, we're talking about blunt force trauma that right. we take to yeah. uh, break skull um you know the fact that the uh the animal was given a complete uh in the field necropsy by a resident uh doctor up uh, from denver john altschuler who years later came out and admitted he was the one that did the examination he he was uh so freaked out by the case he he vowed never to return back to the san luis valley again uh and he didn't until i think 1996 or 95 he came down and Flew down there with Timothy Good, the famous, uh, you know, author and investigator researcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a whole other story. 
uh, the Snippy case is is the uh, you know is the first internationally publicized case of this type. Uh, reporters from China, France, South America, all over Europe contacted the ranch and family, um, asked more information. Uh, as you know, in the book, uh, quite a number of full-length interviews were done. I was able to actually interview the uh, husband of the owner of the horse, uh, Burl Lewis. I did an hour and a half interview okay. on video with him. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's still a perplexing case, and I, I really felt that it deserved the amount of attention I gave it in the book. Now, in the book, too, you mentioned that mutilations of this particular, not the Snippy case, but cow mutilations in general have been happening before uh the the 60s 70s 80s boom of it um dating all the way back to the 1800s correct mm, 1600s is the earliest 16- time that um in 1605 1606 hundreds of sheep were being mutilated around london during the reign of james I. and uh that's our first real written documentation that we have of a wave of animal uh livestock uh, unexplained livestock death cases um the sentence at the end of the uh, the entry into the court records uh, is very interesting. It says, most would agree that it tendeth toward fireworks. Sundry conjectures, uh, most would agree it tendeth toward fireworks is the <laughs> the way the entry ends, which is, uh, you know, in the 21st century is open to some pretty interesting interpretations. But for the right. people that think this is all government uh, conspiracy, black helicopters coming down and doing this, uh, this has been reported you know, we had cases in Ireland in the early, early 1800s, cases in England um, um, in the late 1800s uh, into the 20th century, in the early 20th century of cases from Australia. Uh, you know, if you, if you really do some digging, uh, you'll find uh, that there's been quite a number of these uh, outbreaks, mm-hmm. all in Christian countries, I might add, uh, in Western countries for the most part. You'll never find a single mutilation case from India and right. the sacred cows of India, the Brahma, which are found all over the world, but they're from India. Um, I have not been able to find a single case of a Brahma mutilation out of thousands and thousands of case reports. Wow. So, I mean, there are some clues there. And this this particular uh, subject has fascinated me since I was a kid because – at first, I I would was thinking, well, yeah, aliens just because of the the type of uh, descriptions they would give. But right. why, got, why don't you give give your audience a, a thumbnail sketch of what a cattle mutilation is? Uh, uh, tell everybody exactly what we're talking about. Well, from my understanding, cattle mutilations were uh, sexual organs removed. Uh, actual carcasses cut open and certain organs removed uh in the snippy case the head was was completely stripped off of the bone and i believe several of the cattle mutilations were the same way um what am what else am i missing from that well uh, let's put it this way uh the classic mutilation by definition is an animal that's discovered dead for no reason Okay. They can't ascertain why it died. 
there are no uh, signs of what killed it and disfigured it. In other words, there's no tracks, there's no uh, physical crime scene evidence. And the animal typically, in a classic sense, is found missing its tongue from deep within its throat, and the mandible flesh on the upward part of the jaw is cleanly excised, like it's been cut with a sharp implement. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, as you pointed out, the sexual organs are gone or the reproductive tract in a, in a cow, the sexual organs of a bull are, uh, are gone. Occasionally, you know, oftentimes eye, an eye, an ear um, is gone. The mammary glands, the udders of the cow has been cleanly excised. Um, sometimes there's a, a, a patch of flesh that's cut out in a, in a perfect circle or oval, sometimes a square a few cases, even a triangle of flesh has been taken. Uh, generally, animals won't approach the carcass until humans have introduced their scent to the, uh, the crime scene. And then you might have birds land on it, coyotes, you know, and obviously insects, blowfly, larvae, uh, maggots, um, then do their thing. Uh, so that's a classic case. Um, there are variations on the theme. The Snippy case was atypical. We've never had another case like it. And uh, it's funny how you have an atypical case that happened to a horse is often described as the first cattle mutilation uh, that was publicized. So there's this weird kind of juxtaposition of cow for for horse throughout this whole ministry. Right. Well, I think we'll take our first break. Uh, folks, you're listening to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. I am interviewing Chris O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd. Uh, stay tuned for the giveaway for the decorative plate. We're going to have Eric's random fact of the day and some music, and we'll be right back. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Many strange things have been documented throughout history, but one of the most common is the activity in the Bermuda Triangle. On December 5, 1945, five military planes flew out over the Bermuda for a training exercise. However, after flying nearly 225 miles, the planes vanished from radar, and the crew and planes were never found. Did you know that there is another triangle known as the Dragon's Triangle? Located 100 kilometers south of Tokyo, it too is a hotspot for plane and boat disappearances. What's more odd, If you were to draw a straight line from the center of the Dragon's Triangle, it would connect to the center of the Bermuda Triangle, causing some to believe the triangles to be a wormhole.
That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come through. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. All right, folks, welcome back to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I am talking to Chris O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd. Chris, are you still with me? I am indeed. All right, Chris, one question I have from my chat room here is, is it usually cows for the mutilations? Uh, Yes, I think a sizable percentage, 90% possibly, uh, are, are cattle, but horses, bison, elk, deer, sheep, goats, pigs. Um, I even had a flattened porcupine in a uh, <laughs> in one case. Uh, I had a case where the coyote was mutilated uh, laying right next to a cow that was mutilated. Uh, so, uh, you know, any warm-blooded grazing animal or livestock, uh, you know, could be a victim. Even people have been found in mutilated condition. Of course, those cases are extremely uh, disturbing and, you know, covered up, I think, uh, for the most part by law enforcement. We don't have much documentation about claims of human mutilations, but, hey, in Africa, they mutilate people probably on a daily basis. Uh, There's parts of the world where, uh, you know, the ritual sacrifice of animals is, is practiced daily. So... You know, it's it's mostly cattle, but, you know, pretty much any other warm-blooded animal that uh, is an herbivore, uh, very rarely have we had cases where carnivores have been, uh, uh, predators or scavengers have been found in a mutilated condition. Okay. Now, in your opinion, other than extraterrestrials, what is what is your opinion on what is doing this? Are, are there still mutilations going on to this day as to how we could define that? Yeah. Uh, since 2002, there have been several thousand, uh, upwards of 3,000 cases reported down in South America. Uh, there's been an ongoing wave that's ebbed and flowed uh, for the past 12 years down there. Uh, we've had, you know, I just had a case last uh, about a month and a half ago, six weeks ago, up in Montana on the uh, the Cree Indian Reservation. We've had some uh, fairly recent cases within the last month, five weeks in Missouri. Uh, you know, these cases happen. Uh, they don't often, you know, get national media attention, and right. you know, possibly, right. you know, local local news sources will talk about them. And it's only when you have a series of cases that the regional media picks up on it. And if that, you know, wave of cases continues, then the national and international media will, you know, pick up on it. Cattle are an important uh, protein source uh, for humans. 
There are 1.37 billion cattle on the planet. That's one in a third billion head of head of cattle. They're the largest source of uh, the creation of deserts, the largest source of freshwater pollution. Uh, the main reason why we're cutting down the rainforest is to make room for more cattle. And cattle farts and, and burps uh, create more methane gas, which is some depleting gas, than any other natural source uh, than possibly, you know, the permafrost now is uh, with, you know, climate change and, and, and the planet seeming to warm up. It's, it's allowing the permafrost to release methane into the air. Termites. Uh, create a lot of methane. They're up there, probably number one in terms of an animal or insect that creates methane. But, but mm. you know, the, the bottom line is, besides humans, cattle are probably the most detrimental life form on this planet in terms of degrading the environment. And since 75, when we saw the height of the number of cattle in North America, just taking, you know, our continent as an example, Right. Since 1975, we've seen a, a decline in the, the average consumption per foot of beef. And uh, we've also seen a slow decline in the number of mutilations. It's almost like when, when cattle reached a certain threshold uh, you know, in the environment, then the mutilations almost acted like a control a thermostat. All of a sudden, boom, mutilations really started happening. And whether by accident or by rote, uh, the number of mutilations have have descended and, and curtailed as we have less livestock in the environment and less, uh, you know, beef being eaten by people. You have to understand, 80% of the antibiotics used in this country go into cattle. A high percentage, uh, well over half the growth hormones used by humans in North America go into cattle. We're now stuffing these animals uh, by the tens of thousands into highly unsanitary conditions in feedlots. Right. We're pumping them full of growth hormones to make them, uh, you know, grow faster. And because they're living in filth, we have to pump them full of antibiotics to keep them healthy. We're, we're you know, on average to gain 400 pounds of weight before a, cow, a head of livestock gets slaughtered, we, we give it as much as 1,600 pounds of grain. Grain is not, you know, um, <laughs> cattle aren't designed to eat grain. They're designed to eat grass. That's why they yeah. have four stomachs and they're undulates. Anyway, um, you know, in answer to your question, it's, it's really complex. There is no one-size-fits-all answer. Everybody loves it when you can just say, that's the perpetrator. That's, you know... <laughs> That's the boogeyman right there. Uh, it doesn't work that way in this particular mystery. There's multiple groups piggybacking their agendas and using various techniques to uh, perpetrate these crimes, which appear to be a form of environmental monitoring. It's not so much the particular head of livestock that's targeted. It's where it is in the environment that's important. And uh, my book goes into great detail looking at the environmental monitoring theory which is the only theory that really has the most sticking power. ETs, the government, uh, you know, various hoaxers, Satanists, occultists, these are all theories that have been, you know, kind of thrown out there over the years. But the environmental monitoring theory seems to be the one that sticks the best. Now, is would it be the government monitoring that or somebody like a group of people – maybe monitoring that to to make sure that it's not 
becoming a problem? Well, it depends on what you mean by what is becoming a problem. If you're talking about uh, mad cow disease and transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, uh, you know, just the the most debilitating disease uh, known to man, Ebola is pretty bad, but at least some people survive. If you get uh, TSE or transmissible spongiform encephalopathy, uh, you die. You're, it's 100% right. fatal. So, you know, it's called mad cow disease in cows, but it's called scrapie in, in sheep. It's called chronic wasting disease in deer and elk. It's called Creutzfeldt-Jakob's disease and, and its variants. There's a variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob's. There is new variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob's. These are all um, misfolded proteins that are able to cause other proteins to misfold. Proteins okay. don't okay. even have uh, nucleotides. Uh, I mean, they're so small that uh, they're a thousand times smaller than the smallest virus, which used to be considered the smallest life form known, you know, detected by man. But these misfolded proteins are able to replicate and cause other proteins to misfold. The end result is that you de- develop these holes like a Swiss cheese in your brain and nerve tissue, and you develop symptoms like dementia. You, you twitch out, lose your memory, and at the end, usually you forget to your body forgets to remind itself it has to breathe. And most people die of pneumonia or other you know invasive infections, uh, opportunistic infections. But but. Monitoring the spread of mad cow disease, I think, is a really uh, interesting and uh, possibly uh, important avenue that uh, researchers and investigators should be going down. Well, in the case I mean, when, of, when was the last time you had a hamburger uh, at a fast food joint? Uh, probably last week. <laughs> right. You know how many cattle could parts of how many different cattle could be in that one burger? Do you have, right, do you have yeah. any idea? Not yeah. Even. Do you realize you you, know, you wonder why nine year old girls are going into puberty? Oh, I absolutely know why. Yeah, because they're oh, pumping. Why? Why is that, Justin? <laughs> why are nine year old girls going into puberty? And it ain't watching uh, you know Lindsay Lohan on TV or Kim Kardashian. It's all the growth hormones are sticking right. into the yep. beef. Yep. So, yeah. You know, and, I, sorry, you know, I, I get a little kind of ironic and. Um, cynical when it comes to looking at this subject sometimes because, uh, you know, if, if if anyone in the listening audience, I mean, I, I, I eat beef, but I know where it comes from. It's grass-fed, it's free-range, it's local. Uh, I don't eat fast food uh, hamburgers or, or I try my darndest, and I'm not always successful, uh, I try not to eat processed meat with ammonia slime and all these fillers and and growth hormones and antibiotics and all this stuff. So, you know, if you want my honest appraisal of the situation, there's a possibility that these transmissible spongiform encephalopathy diseases may have been a, you know, some sort of program uh, that got loose, uh, some sort of quasi-governmental group, health group, whatever, Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe some sort of development of, defense against, uh, you know, biological weapons that got loose into the environment. The book goes into uh, quite a bit of detail, uh, tracing the various theories that have been proposed over the years. All of them have some data to support them, but there's way more data to refute them all. The only one that stands head and shoulders above the other explanations is some sort of environmental monitoring program going on. Okay. 
Well, that's kind of where I was going with your particular opinion on on what is actually causing this, because there are, as you said, hundreds of theories as what what is happening. No, there's not hundreds of theories. There's only three or four or five, (laughs) but they all have their permutations. Right, yeah. All right, um, we're going to take another quick break. I'm going to get to the giveaway here, guys. So as soon as that the break hits, we're opening up our lines, uh, 914-205-5558, and you get to win the Eddie the Bigfoot uh, decorative plate. And uh, if you have, ever have any questions for me or the guest, you can call that number or put them in our chat line. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Start hitting that line. Hello everybody, Sublimely Elegant here, as always, and guess what? I know you. Well, no, we've never met, but I do know you. I know you love Minecraft. I know you love the internet. Now, I also happen to know you love colorful language. So, instead of moping around all day, why don't you head on over to my channel and satiate your deepest needs. YouTube.com forward slash Sublimely Elegant.
Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. Uh, the game over sound means that I did not have a winner from the decorative plate, so uh, we will give that away again next week. Um, so uh, keep tuned in to our Facebook page, our Twitter page, to get all that information on how to win that. Um, and also, we are getting close to the end, but if you have any last questions for my guest here, uh, we, the guest call-in number is 914-205-55. We also have our chat line open. Uh, my guest today has been Chris O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd. Chris, you're still with me? I am. What was that uh, theme music? It sounded like Super Duper Mario Brothers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's aging myself because that's from when I was a child. So. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a little disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, since we're getting close uh, to the end here, um, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, tell everybody where they can find you, find your book, uh, find your research, all that good stuff. Well, all you have to do is Google me, and there'll be uh, on quite a bit of uh, <laughs> quite a number of pages that'll come up. <laughs> I do have a website; it's ourstrangeplanet.com. It is a strange planet. It's ourstrangeplanet.com, and of course, I am the co-host of the Paracast which uh, is a radio show many consider to be the 60 minutes of the paranormal. We ask tough questions and demand uh, proof for extraordinary claims. And uh, we've been going since 2006. And uh, go to the, T-H-E, Paracast, P-A-R-A-C-A-S-T.com, and sign up on our forums. We have a great forum community, a lot of smart people up there. Every time I tune in, there's <laughs> I learn something. There's all sorts of scientists and engineers and doctors and spooky types and all sorts that are on there. And if you want to get my book, go to stockingtheherd.com. One word, stockingtheherd.com. I'll sign it and number it for you. All right. And anything uh, last to add on the subject before you go? Well, I think it's important for everybody to to understand – you know, sitting in your armchair, um, you know, only can take you so far surfing on the net, watching TV, reading books. Um, I think the real important work is where the rubber meets the road. I put 300,000 miles on my truck in six years. I was in a position where I was able to do the kind of legwork that it takes to Mm. log the miles, log the data, interview the, uh, particular uh, individuals involved in cases, if you have any sort of free time and you are in an area that has, you know, unusual reports of UFOs, crypto creatures, uh, livestock death, uh, unexplained livestock death cases, good haunted sites, get out there and do the work. But don't take the TV personalities that you see as your <laughs> as your model. Uh, really learn how to do proper investigative work, how to interview people without using leading questions, write everything down, keep an accurate journal or log of your uh, investigative efforts. It's really important that we pass the baton. You know, I'm 57 years old. 
I got involved rather late, you know, when I was in my mid-30s. But um, I was very fortunate to have some really top-notch researcher, investigator types take me under their wing, train me how to prompt an investigator. And, and I spent, you know, I've spent the better part of 20 years out in the field uh, when, when, you know, cases warranted my investigation. So, you know, it's important to really do your work and pick and choose your sources for intellectual knowledge, pick them carefully. And for God's sake, people, don't believe that everything you see on TV is, is true because it's right. I mean, I've caught, I've caught, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the history channel in one documentary claimed that the Maya went extinct in the 1300s, failing to, you know, tell everybody that the, the largest group of indigenous Americans. There's four million right. Maya. Uh, so you know you really have to be careful on getting yourself up to speed properly, and then once you're up to speed and you start doing some good research, write everything down. It's really important. You, you know the human brain can only remember so much. Write it down. Keep a big calendar. Write on the date and time, no matter how in, inconsequential the event. Write it down. When you look back at it in six months, you'll be amazed. Well, I'm glad you bring up uh, getting out there and doing the investigations because I, me and Eric had a paranormal investigative group um, for a couple of years. And a lot of people think it's just like on the shows where something is going to happen every time. And that is absolutely not the case. They they make you think that, unfortunately. But <laughs> so I... I Exactly. Yeah. For, for every hundred hours that I go out sky watching, I may have five minutes of of some you know real spectacular, uh, amazing stuff. But that's you know five minutes out of a hundred hours. You got to put the time in. I'm putting together a surveillance camera up in the San Luis Valley on cell towers and mountaintops, all coordinated. And it happens triggers parameters. All the cameras swing around, detect motion, follow motion. So we need to take this to the next level. You know, technology is now well, we can do closed system, you know, um, internet-based surveillance setups. You know, these are the types of approaches that, that you know, this up-and-coming generation really needs to start embracing. God, you right. guys, if, if I had the kind of technology that I have today or access to um, 20 years ago, when I when I – you know, did a cost analysis of setting up a surveillance setup in the San Luis Valley 20 years ago. It would have cost over a million dollars. Now I can do it like ten, ten thousand dollars. You know, and, and that's the top of the line stuff. Right. Uh, you know, not getting into FLIR, forward-looking infrared, blah blah blah. I mean, that drives the cost up. But to, to put high-def cameras that are protected within an environmental enclosure for heat and and, and cold. You can put together, you know, a triangulated three-camera system for very little money. You can also have tri-field meters hooked up. You can have ELF uh, detection. I mean, passive radar. I mean, there's tons of things that, that creative individuals can do to help take that baton further down the field. I can only do, you know, so much in my, in my, uh, in my process. So, right. you know, it's, it's up right. to you guys to take the ball and run with it. <laughs> So there you go, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate it. Uh, and I hope we have another chance to catch up and uh, 
see where things are at for you. Okay, well, things are always kind of cool on my side of the uh, of the equator. Uh, I just need to get south of the equator, down to South America, and find out what the heck's been going on down there. Right. <laughs> All right, well, I appreciate you being on the show, and I hope you have a very good evening. Yeah, give my best to Eric, too, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, folks, that was Chris O'Brien, author of Stalking the Herd. Uh, as he said, he also has a uh, radio show, uh, Paracast.com, and you can also uh, check out his website, our OurStrangePlanet.com, and uh, also check out StalkingTheHerd.com to uh, just get a glimpse at the book or purchase the book. Um, you can also find the book on Amazon. Uh, that is where I had originally found it. So it's definitely a very good read, uh, especially for those who are interested in the mutilation uh, phenomenon. Um, it definitely had piqued my interest when I was younger. Um, but uh hadn't really researched it too much since then. And uh, so I was glad to get Chris on and get his perspective on it because as he said, everybody wants to blame UFOs, aliens, extraterrestrials, that sort of thing. And it seems like it's more of a close to home type phenomenon than it is a otherworldly phenomenon. And uh, I do agree with what he said as well. Get out there, do some investigations. Uh, don't put your your life at risk, but do some research. You're the only the only way you're going to find out what is really going on out in the world is getting out there and doing footwork and uh, doing that research. And keep a log. Keep a notebook. Have an uh, audio recorder with you at all times. Anything you can do to document any type of phenomenon that is going on that you're researching, definitely get out there and do that. It's so worth the time and the effort and it gets you out of the house and maybe a little bit of an adventure in your life. Who knows? Um, so next week I w we will be having on uh sublime elegant from YouTube. Uh, we'll be talking about werewolves. Um, Eric will be back next week and uh, we will also be giving away that decorative plate. Once again, Eddie, the Bigfoot. Uh, so please call in, um, Give us your input. Give us your uh, expertise, if you will. And also call in and win this plate. It's very well done. I am very happy with it. Shelly did a very good job on it. Um, so, folks, I will see – or I'm sorry. I won't see you. I will be talking to you next week, same time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Justin, and this has been Paratruth Radio.
Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.